Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hey everybody, welcome to Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I am your host Tom Sutton. This is episode 6. Uh, really nice to be talking to you. It's been an, another week of Star Wars fun. Will this ever end? Let's hope not. Um, I want to start with a retraction. I think I, it may have been in my in the first ever episode of the show. I talked about watching the um, 4K 77 version of uh, episode 4, A New Hope. And that it looked pretty grainy and not that great. Um, I I think that, you know, the film opens on the, 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 the uh, iconic shot of... Um, the Tanty Four and uh, the Star Destroyer, and it, actually those um, those kind of space shots are the ones that uh, sh really look the grainiest. So, because I, I watched a, a bit more of that, and um, well, where I'm where I'm headed with this is that uh, I I investigated further with the entire four K. Kind of range of uh, uh, the original trilogy. Now you've probably heard of the despecialized editions. These are um, very well known, uh, talked about very regularly. They are um, editions that have had the um, the special edition changes reversed or uh, cut out to the best of. Uh, the um, the editor's ability, considering the uh, the quality of uh, sources that are available, uh, obviously um, when they've used sources from uh, you know official Blu-ray releases, you know on scenes that are unaltered, then it's not an issue. But when you're trying to uh, replace scenes, for example, uh, size noodles in the Rebo band in Return of the Jedi with their original versions, then it's only quite low res or scratchy or yeah, like low quality versions that are available. So a lot of effort went, went into making versions, non-special edition versions that were uh, watchable and very enjoyable. But I feel like, I feel like I've taken uh, even uh, uh, one step, another step up in a way. Um, uh, the despecialized editions, as far as I know, are only uh, available in 720p. Is that the right uh, nomencl nomenclature? Is nomenclature the right word? Uh, we'll find out. Because um, uh, there, there is a community that has been putting together, as I mentioned, these 4K uh, editions with the special edition changes reversed. Now, um, for those who don't know, 4K is, uh, at least for now, the highest quality available for like home theater viewing, basically. Uh, if you have a 4K TV or 4K Blu-ray player, you're, you're able to watch films in extremely uh, ultra high definition. And I have to say, uh, I, I bought a 4K TV a year ago or so. And when you do watch stuff in 4K, you do notice the difference. It's the kind of thing that you could very easily say, 
Oh, who even would notice the difference? Trust me, <laughs> you will notice the difference. Um, now, uh, there, I mentioned a community putting these together. There are actually different versions, and each you kind of have to pick what you want, I guess. Um, everyone has different uh, different tastes or different uh, things that are more or less important to them. Uh, some versions have no digital noise reduction, whereas some have medium levels of digital noise reduction, uh, this kind of stuff. Um, I have found that my preferred versions at this point, um, so for at, at least at time of recording, uh, A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back are both available in what are called D+. 77 or D plus 80, meaning Disney plus uh, A New Hope or Disney plus The Empire Strikes Back. And what that means is that they've taken the 4K uh, versions of those films that are now available on Disney plus and on home video. And uh, most of the source is that. So you get a beautiful, um, you know, one thing that you can really say about the special editions is that the... Um, just in terms of restoring the film to you know its highest level of visual quality, um, they've done a beautiful job of that. So most of the source on these is that, on, and then on the scenes that don't exist in that uh, restored high quality, they have then used uh, the 4K scans of these rare. Um, like film versions, because the the original these four K versions were originally like they found people with um, with well preserved film copies of the films, and then they projected them and filmed the projection in four K. Um, so it's not a thousand percent perfect because you will be watching the film and then occasionally you'll get a little cut or a scene that is clearly um, not as crisp and clean looking as what you've been watching. Um, but for me, so far, this is, these are my, uh, this is my favorite versions. Um, so my, my kind of quest for despecialized Nirvana, it goes on and it goes well. I'm, I'm having such a fun time with this. Uh, I just wanted to mention I had some technical technical difficulties something something broke so I bought a new thing and now the new thing sounds yeah all right not as good as the old thing so uh excuse me if it sounds like I'm sitting in my kitchen it's because I am sitting in my kitchen but the thing before didn't make it sound like I was sitting in my kitchen huh how about that but I am sitting in my kitchen I've got the candles lit um actually uh we are lucky enough on this episode to be joined a bit later with a friend of mine called Teresa Pabring. Uh, we have had some good Star Wars fun times together over the years, and we will be reminiscing about those times. Uh, but before we get to her, uh, we really have to talk about the most recent episode of The Clone Wars, naturally. Um, this is the arc that it seems like half the internet has been waiting for all their lives. It is the Siege of Mandalore. And um, 
I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. Uh, the Clone Wars is great, um, but I'm limited in how much I can enjoy it just because it's in an era that I'm not a big fan of. But having said that, um, wow, what an episode. It was, um, you know, it really was everything that, uh, that fans of the show have been waiting for, clearly. Uh, I haven't heard a bad word said about the episode online. And you know how uh, rare it is to find um, Star Wars that everybody likes these days. It was very uh, extremely action-packed, cinematic. Um, had some nice character beats, some great R2 moments. Um, I think that uh, once this arc is done, it's going to have real strong rewatch, rewatchability. So that was good. Um, I finished up the last two episodes on my Mandalorian rewatch. And I mean, I gotta say, there are moments that are whew, just like gold, you know, Star Wars gold nuggets to be. There's fantastic moments in the show. Um, uh, still not a 10 out of 10, but um, yep, I had a fun time watching those two episodes. Um, uh, also, a bit later in the show, we're going to look at uh, a really interesting thing that IGN put together on YouTube. It was a live watch-along uh, of the film Rogue One, and they were joined by none other, none other than two of the writers on the movie, uh, Gary Witter and Chris Weitz. They had some interesting things to say, so we're going to take a couple of clips from that and uh, check it out. All right. So here we go. We're going to talk to Teresa. Um, she is a sound engineer and a tattoo artist and a Star Wars fan. So uh, let's do it. All right. We're here at uh, Teresa's very cute apartment. Uh, Teresa, how are you doing? Hi, I'm uh, quite all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad that you that you agreed to be on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Teresa and I have had some fun uh, Star Wars experiences together. Basically, uh, so of the five new Star Wars films, uh, you and I have been there on uh, opening day for three of them, actually. Yeah. Um, during the time when, uh, so I had a girlfriend called Anna at one point, and she went with me on opening day for a couple of those. But all the other three have been you and me. Yes. Um, so of course, the first of those was uh, the Force Awakens. Do you remember what that was like, or what your response was when that happened? Yeah, I was because we went like eleven. Uh before noon it was a bit yeah, yeah. I, I don't do that anymore like now i realize it's okay to wait till two in the afternoon or something but i think that one was an, an, an earlier one probably yeah or maybe two o'clock or something but around lunchtime i think yeah yeah but i was super excited and nervous <laughs> and when we yeah. met outside outside the cinema we both were like ah, ah. <laughs> it's true isn't it like it's hard it it's weird how like these eras pass by and they you can you can barely put yourself back in that mindset because we we literally didn't know any we, we had no idea no. what was gonna happen i think like i mean the trailers were very smart in that they um 
you know, they were p- packed with Star Wars greatness and made you want to see the movie, but they they didn't really tell you what the plot was going to be at all. No. And uh, so, in that way, we were really, um, yeah, hard to know what what was gonna what was gonna happen. But I remember when we were on tour. It mm. was like in November, mm. the month before. Yep. They revealed the her name. Uh, yeah. When we were in Vienna. Vienna. Yeah. I remember that moment. Yeah, you just Ooh. got us from the bus, and we were like. <gasps> that's a good name yeah i uh, straight away i think i mean you i mean do, do you remember the prequel era very very clearly not really you were kind of young at the during that those times i suppose yeah, I like two no. yeah okay so <laughs> uh but i mean when they revealed those titles except for revenge of the sith which sat very very well immediately everyone was like yeah okay that it's makes perfect name. that's a good perfect but the other two like i mean phantom menace 16 year gap we were all like what's it gonna be oh, new stars i can't believe what's it gonna be and then they announced like yeah it's gonna be called the phantom menace and everyone <laughs> what why <laughs> Sounds really goofy, yeah. and like, yeah, it was the same. I mean, there's a famous clip of uh, Ewan McGregor, who's he was being interviewed on the red carpet of Moulin Rouge or something, and that very day they had released the title for Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, and they they were like, "Do you know what the title is?" And he's like, "No, actually, they haven't even told me." And they're like, "It's going to be called Attack of the Clones." <laughs> He just packed up laughing. It was like, what? No, really? Is that it? <laughs> Sounds ridiculous. Hmm. Yeah. So the Force Awakens. I, I just remember that being like, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. That sounds amazing. And I just yeah. thought, even like, I think they released this very simple looking graphic, which was, um, I guess, like the Star Wars logo with that through the middle of it or something. And even that was enough to be exciting back then. Yeah. I think. So uh, I remember, like after, so after the film, like something again, like on that topic of how easy it is to forget how things have changed. Like I remember loving the film, but feeling like there was so much about the wider story about like like where the big players of the galaxy are, like political stuff. All that stuff that you didn't really love in the prequels. You know? <laughs> well, now it's gone completely and I'm a bit confused. But I just remember coming out and we kind of looked at each other. We were both kind of shell-shocked. Yeah, it was like, uh, uh, I, I don't have, it, have any words. Yeah, we both knew that we had really enjoyed it. But we're like, there was so much to take in. Yeah. And um, so many kind of like, I guess the death of Han Solo was really shocking. Yeah, um, it was. Not that it happened, but I guess the way that it happened and stuff was for me um, pretty, yeah, that was a heavy moment. And um, yeah, just, I think in theory, like we probably we'll never see a long gap in Star Wars films ever again in our lifetimes. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of fun to have experienced that um, 
yeah you know for, for people from the original trilogy generation you've had it twice now but um but it was like because both you and i were mm. staying positive mm. before the movie like yeah, sure. had our hopes up when yeah. a lot of other people were like no it's going to be crap and they can't do anything mm. good out of this just look at the prequels oh, yeah, yeah. but we were like but it's more fun to have your hopes up yeah exactly yeah I, oh, this is a good point actually i always say like because so, people have said to me like you, you're pretty excited about this movie coming out um aren't you afraid of being disappointed and i'm like of course i could be yeah but why sacrifice the tons of fun i'm gonna have leading up to the film like you get to enjoy it twice in a way exactly. you get to enjoy all the speculation and wondering and like just getting pumped over every little thing that comes out and then when the movie comes out if you like it then great and if you don't love it then you've at least had this real fun experience leading up exactly. to it exactly yeah. so i guess like after that that i remember i saw rogue one and uh the last jedi with anna and mm. then um with you i uh, saw solo along with andish mm. and uh the, the rise of skywalker of course yes solo i guess was a bit was not as um big a moment i guess but we all really yeah. liked it yeah it was we both were like okay how will he carry up to harrison ford mm -hmm. i mean harrison ford as han solo mm. did uh, yeah. mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you can say really ah Mm. yeah because we were we've been sending each other like photos of uh, han solo from the early movies to each Hot other Han. yeah yeah and we were like oh this is porn yeah he, i mean it's crazy to think like like he didn't i don't think i mean he was in american graffiti which was 1970 i don't know three four or something mm. So by that point, he was already in his late 20s, I guess. So in, like when he did Star Wars, I think he was 32 or something. Mm. How does a, a, how is someone that good looking and that charismatic not already a movie star? Mm. I don't know. I guess timing is everything. Yeah, mm. it is. But, but uh, of course, that was like the A1 biggest question facing that movie is how is Alden Ehrenreich going to uh, carry carry that character on and is he going to be okay is can we accept him as han solo exactly but like from the start mm. when the movie started it was like ah, yeah i didn't even think about it that's so nice to hear actually yeah yeah i had the same experience i feel like you know in the very start of the movie is him in that you know he's like stealing that speeder and uh I think in that moment, I'm like, Ooh, wow, that's kind of weird. That's, that's Han Solo. And yeah. by the time he's like back and talking to uh, Kira and Mother Proxima and all that stuff, I'm, I was already on board. It took like five minutes, maybe. Mm. Um, yes. I think, uh, yeah, Aaron Reich had like, he's like good looking and charming and cool, but that, that, <laughs> that kind of like an idiot side to Han Solo. Yes. It's perfect, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because we both were, like, with the trailers, hmm. it felt more like, okay, but this is Lando Calrissian. Yeah. No question about it. But, 
we both were a bit like, uh, mm-hmm. is it Han or is right. it uh, someone trying to be Han? Mm-hmm. I mean, Donald Glover has like proven himself to be super uh, like a star again and again and again. And leading into that film, you just it's easy to buy him as Lando because you already think he's like a super cool guy. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just, man, I want more of both of them, actually. And, of course, uh, Jonas Suatomo, Suatamo, no one can, he's from Finland. He's such a brilliant new Chewbacca, you know, and I just like, I just want to see more of those characters. Yeah. Mm. Is the, did you just see it the once in the cinema? Yes. And then, like, you haven't seen it since then, right? Yeah, yeah, I have. You have? Mm. Yeah, a couple of times. Yes. You have to watch movies a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> to, like, get yeah. the full picture of everything. Awesome. Because every time you see something new. Okay, so let me ask you about about Solo. Um, one criticism that I've heard again and again and again since its release is that... Um, that Visually, it's a dark film and it's underlit and difficult to see what's going on. And I, I sometimes so in in Sweden, like almost all the cinemas are run by this one big company, yeah. And they have these very high like professional standards for their like everything is very well set up and everything is very professional. And mm. but I think in, uh, there are a lot of countries that have still like these independently run kind of mom and pop cinemas, and wouldn't surprise me if like so i know for a fact like some cinemas will run their projection bulbs uh at like half power because Mm. that way they they last longer and they don't have to spend as much money replacing them when they when they die Mm. so i I wonder if that kind of was born out of people seeing it in these like little like independent cinemas in like small towns and then being like it's too dark i can't see anything because i didn't think that at no, all it was a really bright movie <laughs> eat that because <laughs> <laughs> if i think about a movie i think about like this uh, sand yellow sandish mm. brown uh mustard yep there's color. a lot of mustard in that movie yes mm. and i don't think of mustard as a dark color. Right on. I mean, like there are to me, there are two dark scenes. One is the opening, uh, which is dark for two reasons. A, it's shown that this uh, mother Proxima character is sensitive to sunlight, yeah. so it has to be dark down there. Uh, and two, it is uh, like symbolically supposed to represent him escaping from this situation. Because when he and Kira j- jump in the speeder and bust out of that place, it's suddenly bright to yeah. kind of symbolically show that they are like escaping this situation. Mm. And then uh, I guess when you, when you meet Lando, the Savak table, that's quite darkly lit. But I think it's... Yeah, because it's an <sighs> underground like thing. Exactly. But maybe people doesn't know about underground clubs. <laughs> they haven't been living in the heavy metal underworld for exactly. years like you and me have. Yeah, nope. Yeah, maybe if you live your life uh, in brightly lit cafes and Walmarts, then <laughs> maybe yeah, exactly. you're not used to this kind of stuff. Yeah, 
dirt and the broken things in a dark lit environment that's yeah. what we have in our veins people with six eyes and space cats there i mean that's just normal for us yeah mm. yeah and i i love that i think it's because i you know watching the making of uh, material and stuff the the director of photography bradley something can't remember but he tried to use I guess what they call, um, I don't know if it's like natural lighting or whatever, but they basically light, light the room as it would be if it was a real room. And yep. that's the light they use to shoot it with. Because mm. usually in films you have like, you know, if you're in a room, you have the lights on, right? Yep. But in addition to that, you have a bunch of other lights that... Yeah, extra know. lighting. Right. And he, he kind of, I think he went like, I want to use as little of that as possible to get that real like real world feeling basically yeah. and i think they they smashed it i, I mm. visually i love them i think the, 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 the like if you're a fan of classic you know original truly era star wars like all the designs fit really directly into that um that style i think and yeah. the out, like costume designs the vehicles and all this stuff i think it looks super stylish Yes, it yeah. does. Oh, but another mm. dark scene in Han mm. is when you meet Chewie. Oh my God! You can't forget that. No, you're right. Absolutely. That's literally like become one of my favorite scenes in yeah. all Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, mine too. I love it. It's like you don't re really know what's going on, but you you also know. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, ah! I just think like... That's that to me is a, like a like a miracle. Right, these characters we've known them for forty years. I mean, I'm not the type who kind of like I, it feels like I need to know how every character met each other. Like, no. I, I'm interested in their adventures and their their life, their experiences or whatever. But how people meet or how how did they learn this or how did they get that name or whatever? It's not that important to me. But I'm sure there are people who wonder like, oh, how did Han and Chewie meet? Mm. Um, so. The fact that they put together a scene that not only was not a letdown, but it went way beyond what I could have kind of hoped for. Just in it's like how funny it is and how the silliness of it. Yeah. And it just because that the type of relationship that he and Chewie have, it's very warm, but it's very like. You know, there's this playful kind of, um, kind of, uh, what's the sarcastic? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Ish. They will make fun of each other. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So to have like, you know, I think in the old, I don't know if it was in the old legends books or whatever, or like people used to say like, yeah, you know, Han saved Chewie from uh, from slave from being a, a slave of the Empire, and then there was this life debt thing, and they could have done it in a very like serious serious way and you know, this is how they develop their deep bond but it, the fact that it began with Chewie trying to rip his head off yeah. and then Han speaking bad Wookiee <laughs> <laughs> and then once they're out they both try to run in opposite directions it's yeah. just and then they end up in the shower together it's that's awesome <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm into it mm. so I, I'm a, a huge fan of that movie um, it's really it's a bucket of Star Wars fun. All right. Then, uh, of course, the most recent one we had was um, The Rise of Skywalker. Yes. Uh, have you watched it again since then? Yes, recently. Aha. Uh -huh. How's it How's it sitting for you now? 
Uh, really good, actually, mm. because the first time when we went to see it, mm. uh, my father just died. Yeah. So I didn't really remember anything of it. Uh, Understandable. Yeah. But I really like it. Mm. But it feels because now it feels like I've seen it one and a half time. Mm-hmm. So I have to see it again soon to like have a more proper feeling of it. Got it. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, we both really liked it that that day. Um, it was um, like I guess there were. For me, that film has some of my favorite moments in the new films, and but also some of my biggest like okay like questions about it. Um, but I think once I saw it a few times, it's it happens to me for every new Star Wars movie where there's something that maybe I don't love, but once you've seen it a couple of times, like you. You kind of accept it in a way. Yeah. I mean, either it's too too over the line, and then you're kind of like going to be annoyed forever, mm. or it's like just within the line, and you just go, ah, I can accept it now, and yeah. that's kind of how I feel about that. And um, but it's like with uh, some albums. Yeah. Like you have a. All in all, it's a really great album, but there's that one song in the middle <laughs> that ah. Uh, why did he put it there? Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Yes. It's a bit like that. Yeah. Um, and then over time, maybe you realize, oh, yeah, I know the words to this song, even though exactly. I quote unquote don't like it. No, and it can also be like, there is a movie. Mm-hmm. You don't really know what you feel about it. But if you see it over and over again, mm. like you listen to the album over yep. and over again, then it's like, yeah. Mm. This one, it's a good one. Yeah. But you have to, it takes its time. And I think, uh, so I'm, with that film, I saw it a bunch of times at the cinema. Um, but I am waiting for the, I don't know why in Sweden, like it came out in the US on Blu-ray and whatever weeks ago. Mm. But in Sweden, it's not coming out until May 4th, which is Star Wars Day. Yes. I understand that, but it's weird that it's taking that long. But I kind of have this thing of like, of course, I have downloaded it illegally off the internet, so I have a copy have to. You? Yeah, I'm doing this, you know, scene by scene review yeah. of it or whatever. But it's like, for my first sitting down and just watching it as a movie, I kind of want to just put in, put in the Blu-ray and uh, really enjoy yeah. it like that. So I've been kind of putting that off. Mm. Um, but I'm lo- really looking forward to it because, as I said, it's got some of my favorite things in all Star Wars in it, actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, let me ask you something. Did you ever watch a show on Netflix called Russian Doll? No, I saw the first half of the first episode. <laughs> 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 then I fell asleep. And then it was like, ah, oh, no. Never got around to it. No. The, uh, I loved that show, actually. And... Mm. The uh, it just came out last night that um, I mean it's been reported by Variety and MakingStarWars.net who are you know Variety is a very respectable entertainment um, online presence and Making Star Wars is like extremely accurate for Star Wars rumors and spoilers and stuff. So mm. they've both reported that the showrunner and co-creator of Russian Doll. Is going is being given a, a TV series mm-hmm. to develop. So uh, even though you only made it through half an episode, I loved that show. And mm. 
I'm super excited about that news, actually. But then I guess I have to see it because when you love a show, I usually love it too. We do have similar tastes in yes. many things. Yeah. Um, I would say like a like the characters are very well drawn and really uh, fun, mm. and um, it, it's a very, it's very darkly comedic. So I like that about it. Um, plot wise, it's really un. Um, unpredictable hmm. um i if you watch the trailer you go like all right it's groundhog day with a cranky woman as the main character hmm. that seems not super exciting hmm. but once it kicks off you it gets really creative and really unpredictable hmm. so i love that about it and i thought that visually it was v extremely rich looking hmm. which uh of course visuals affect me a great deal when it comes to star wars hmm. like for example, like, you know, I, I don't like to uh, talk bad about stuff uh, if I can avoid it, you know. But when it comes to the prequels, I feel like like the overall story I like just fine. Um, but visually, it's so off base for me that I think that even if everything else was fine, I would still have trouble with it. Mm. So visually, visual stuff is important. Now, we are going to have... <laughs> I've never done this before, but so... Uh, Teresa is the proud owner of this amazing Star Wars sound effects book. Um, it's one of J.W. Rinsler's amazing pieces of work. Um, basically, it's... How would you describe this? Uh, a sound bible for Star Wars. Mm, indeed. So it actually has a, uh, a, you know, a kind of computer thing in it with a speaker and... It has numbered sound effects. Yes. And so you can play the sound effect and then read the number that will talk to you about how the sound effect was created and the thought behind it and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So we're going to do a quick game where we play the sound effect and we have to try to guess what the effect is. So I'm going to, here we go. You can maybe, I'm pressing the button to a random number. Let's see what the sound is and if we can guess what it is. I suggest a new strategy. Oh, well, that's pretty on. obvious. Let the <laughs> That's clearly Lando Calrissian. All right, next. <laughs> oh my God, that's a tough one. Uh, like the last sound in it. That was that was weird, wasn't it? No, but I I really recognized it, but I can't. I feel like some of those sounds are like R two moving yeah but this was not r2 i think okay let's see so Could number like 57 <gasps> was it r2 the death stars computer sound ah. interesting all right hmm. so far we are losing yes <laughs> losing against who i don't know ben all right Bert. ben bird ben bird is kicking our asses yeah. <laughs> ben bird with your eyebrow i think you're pretty smart don't you all right mm -hmm. let's try sound effect number 84 Two is pretty obvious. Yeah, but what's what was part one? Was it like inside a ship? I thought that was an X-wing. But uh, I mean, the second part was a Tie Fighter, and yeah, I don't exactly. think they are blending sounds in this book. I'm not sure. But let's look it up and see. 
Yes. Ah, okay. It was TIE Fighters. Okay. Oh, I want to play that one more time. Hang on. The beginning. Okay, so it's you're inside an X-wing, and then you hear kind of like that, isn't it? Tie fighters, because it's like uh, pictures of the interior, mm. or if it's from R2's point of view or something. I guess, like when you think of Tie fighters, you think of just that like sound. Yeah. It's but they don't make that sound all the time. There's kind of normal, normal noises as well. Normal Tie fighter sound. <laughs> all right. Let's do like a couple more. Let's try number 21. Lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a malfunctioning <laughs> vibrator or something. Yeah. Well, I think you'll find that's exactly what it was. <laughs> but was it the Java thing? Oh my God. You know what that was? Is it? It's Aunt Baru's food processor. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> but I remember it now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you say that, you go, oh, yeah, I can kind of hear that in my my inner ear, basically. Or you just want to hear it in your inner yeah, ear. Yeah, I guess. But uh, that's... Um, that's a hilarious... Okay, we're going to do one more. Mm -hmm. Let's see what this is. It's Jawa's I think so. Body. I think that's Jawa's. And it no, sounds I thought it was Jabba the Hutt's. Oh body. Jabba the Hutt body. But it could be it could be Jawa's. 32, 32. <laughs> I guess it, it's... Creatures. That, yeah. Like uh, exactly. from the cantina. Like this is okay. just like cantina background sounds. Uh -huh. I think we lost against Ben Bert. I think so too. Sorry. Better luck next time. All right. Yep. Teresa, it's been fun to talk to you. Yes. You too. All right. Back to you, other Tom. Thanks, other other Tom. You can uh, you can really tell that Teresa is a uh, sound engineer and sound technician because uh, she recorded that and it sounded really nice. <laughs> oh well, we'll see what we can do in the future. All right, um, I wanted to uh, refer back to something that her and I mentioned during that chat. Uh, that is the news that uh, the woman who was. Uh, co-creator and showrunner for Russian Doll uh, is heavily rumored to have been given a, uh, a Star Wars TV series on Disney Plus. I'm pumped for that. I, I thought Russian Doll, Russian Doll was um, like uh, one of the most inventive and entertaining shows I have seen in recent years. So, um, and it looked great. So I'm, I'm very up for that. Let's see how that unfolds. All right. So we are going to jump into this uh, IGN watch along, Rogue One watch along with writers Gary Witter and Chris White. Um, 
some real fun and interesting comments. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is um, a, a kind of a film reference or influence on uh, on Rogue One that I kind of can't believe I didn't pick up because uh, they are referencing a movie that I really love. So uh, here we go. Let's hear what they have to say about that. This is actually the very first scene that I wrote. Very first scene. Um, uh, Gareth and I talked a lot about how much we love the opening of Inglorious Bastards, if you remember that, with the French farmhouse, where mm -hmm. Christoph Waltz, the Nazi, comes to interrogate the French farmer. And this this scene is was very much inspired by that. Krennic is basically uh, the, the the Christoph Waltz Nazi uh, in this movie, coming to uh, interrogate the poor um, uh, the poor innocents uh, who have to hide this uh, this girl. Um, and uh, I don't know if I'm surprised that actually one of the more direct cinematic references and influences in the film. I'm surprised more people uh, didn't pick up on it. But you should have um, you should have had him ask for a cup of blue milk. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> like a comically big cigar. Yeah, maybe. Right. So there you go. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, the Quentin Tarantino movie, uh, a direct um, inspiration for that amazing opening to Rogue One. Ah, like I said, I can't believe I didn't really pick that up, but that's actually my favorite scene in Rogue One, and that uh, opening in Inglorious Bastards is, whew, it's a knockout. I mean, I remember sitting in the in the cinema, watching that for the first time, and just feeling like, this is why. We go to the movies. This is why cinema exists. I just, um, I love it. So really fun to hear uh, that there is a, yeah, like a direct influence and a direct uh, inspiration there for the writers of Rogue One. All right. Uh, next up is a kind of a fun uh, anecdote about the origins of the uh, planet named Scarif. Um, when you think about it, if you if you're if you're in the position to uh, actually be writing Star Wars and creating new character and planet names, where are you going to pull them from? Do you just like, you know, pull stuff out of thin air and see how it sounds when you say it out loud? Or uh, th there's a lot of different ways by which uh, this people they come up with this stuff. Uh, but I like this story. All right, let's check it out. And like, that, and, and there's, and there's a long history of that. I mean, many, many Star Wars names from the ones created on down come from really dumb places. Like, if you actually ask them, like, where did that name come from, they'll tell you a really silly story. Um, do but, you have uh, any of the names that you came up with for? for this oh well, the, the I mean, the classic one is is the name of Scarif, the the, the planet at the end, which is yeah, uh, that's my favorite. Which is a Starbucks barista's yeah, interpretation a, of Gareth saying it's Gareth when they ask yeah. what the. I said to I said to Gareth, uh, I've named all the planets so far. It's time you should name one. You should you should have planet because I want to do it. I said, well, give it give it a think. He said, what do you want me to name? I said, like the final planet where they steal the plans. He's like, okay, I'll go think about it. And our office was was uh, was kind of adjoining the back of a Starbucks, and Gareth would go there every day, and he went there to get his frappuccino, whatever. And um, and he's English, so you know he has a very English accent. And the barista said, what's your name? And he said, Scarif, as in it's Gareth. It's Gareth. And they wrote Scarif, S-C-A-R-I-F, on the cup. And Gareth brought the cup back to me. He said, look how they spelled my name today. Did anybody tell the barista about that? <laughs> I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, maybe she's heard it, like, through, because that's a story that we've since told many, many times. It's a f yeah. But, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's that the, this, one of the most significant planets in the history of Star Wars was, was named by a barista who misspelled Gareth's name on a coffee cup.
<laughs> I like that. Um, you know, it, it's kind of... For a lot of us, Star Wars is so sacred. And the idea that they would come up with these like really important planet names just out of some like kind of goofy thing that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but I, I like it. And I, I think that the, the, the planet name Scarif sounds really cool. Uh, <laughs> am I ever going to actually be able to forget that um, now? You know, watching the film, every time it comes up, I'm going to be like, oh, it's Scarif. Hmm. We'll see. All right, we got one more from the writers of Rogue One, and uh, this is, um, you know, we live in a bit of an unprecedented time where um, we have unprecedented access to the uh, the talent behind the films and uh, to, uh, to you know stories of what's going on during production. Um, and it can cause people to get a little anxious sometimes. Because um, uh, whenever you hear that things aren't going 100% smoothly, people start to wonder, is production in trouble? Does this mean we're in for a bad movie or whatever? Um, of course, this is uh, it's just a part of filmmaking. Um, I mean, anyone who's done any kind of reading about... Um, you know, the making of the very first Star Wars movie would know that uh, they were plagued with, you know, technical things not working, budgets being broken and deadlines being broken and Fox, you know, coming close, you know, shutting them down at one point. George had a breakdown, ended up in hospital. Um, it was problem after problem. But they uh, they pulled off the impossible and made a movie that changed uh, changed culture on the planet forever. So um, it's uh, it's kind of fun to then look look at a film like uh, Rogue One, which uh, is a bit of a fan favorite, and um, you know kind of I mean this what I'm going to play now there's not a problem, but um, it shows you that. Uh, Filmmaking really is a process. Um, you know, uh, it's not someone just waking up one morning and going and feeling inspired to write and writing the whole thing down, and boom, it's like brilliant and and everything about it works. Uh, they are constantly, you know, playing with and changing things to try to get it to work as well as possible. So this is a. a Fun thing, uh, talking about um, the ways that the character of Cassian changed from his uh, his original version. Here we go. This is also a big moment for Cassian's character here. I mean, in, in, in talking about Cassian's arc uh, from, you know, starting at the first time we meet him, he's killing one of his own informants uh, or one of his own guys. Um, he's got these orders to kill uh, Galen Urso on sight without question. Um and then here we start to see sort of the uh, him him sort of obviously he doesn't end up killing him, but like talk, talking about the, the Galen's arc in general uh, and what that was like to to sort of work with other writers to, uh, to about, make sure about Cassian's arc, um, Cassian's arc. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, he was always uh, meant to be compromised. Um, you know, I think in in Gary and my versions, um, 
he was severely compromised. He was a double agent. For a long time, he was working for the for the empire, um, and my I think this was a rationale that I added in was that um, he had lost people who had been killed by Saw Gerrera, uh, and all he wanted from the empire was the go ahead and the ability to kill Saw Gerrera rather than Galen Ursa. Um, and that kind of transmogrified along the lines to uh, uh, post me and Gary into a, uh, a rebel uh, intelligence officer who had done terrible things and here chooses, chooses not to. Yeah. In, a, in, like I say, in the very, very, ocean, very, very, ocean of, very, very early version of his name, he was Cassie at this point. Um, he was, in fact, kind of, he, he was a rebel soldier who was secretly working. Uh, for Krennic, but then, he, but then, as he as he grew closer to Jin and realized that the Empire had built this weapon, he's like, I never signed up for this. I didn't sign up for killing planets. Um, he he, you know, has a change of heart and and flips to the rebel side. But that's after he's exposed as a spy, and at that point in the third act, he kind of has to win uh, Jin's uh, trust back. That was all fun. That was all interesting. I think they actually shot some of that stuff early on. But I think the I think the this version ended up being kind of more nuanced and more interesting. That is interesting. Uh, yeah, pretty cool to think that the Cassian originally was going to be an imperial double agent. Um, yeah, I guess that uh, you can see where this kind of, like this idea that he is a guy with a bit of a rough past who has uh, done things he's not proud of comes from uh, in terms of the writing process. Yep, I like the character uh, that we got. I'm super happy actually that, uh, that you know. When they announced the idea for the Cassian TV series, I was uh, really happy to hear that. Actually, I think that's um, that's got a lot of potential. Um, nice to see more in that uh, in that era, in that part of the timeline. I like that stuff. You're going to see like classic stormtroopers and stuff. Can't go wrong there. Um, just to see, you know, rebels doing rebel stuff. Will be really fun. All right, here we go. We're gonna jump into uh, our regular segment where we go scene by scene through one of the films. We're still on the rise of Skywalker, naturally. Um, last last episode, we uh, got to where uh, Ray and her gang of good mates we're jumping in the falcon to go off and uh, try to find exegol so uh we are going to continue from there um i've already teed it up and i'm kind of excited because it's got some really cool stuff all right what that goes into is the chimp the space chimp ah oh, james miyazawa if you are out there listening for you're probably not but if you are space chimp you will understand all right um I don't know, it's like, <laughs> when I first saw the film, I'm like, why have they got a chip with, with goblin ears putting Kylo's helmet back together? It, is, this, it, it, is this really what they're doing? Like, it seems like it's such a bizarre design choice. Like, you know, they're, I mean, Star Wars is littered with characters that are based off, like, Earth animals. Like, a, a Gamorrean guard is clearly... Like based off a pig, right? Um, but this, um, 
I don't know what he's. I think like when you look at the when you look at the like uh, visual dictionary and stuff, he's supposed to be like a, a Sith alchemist or something, I, or like a dark alchemist. I don't know, but he's a chimp. <laughs> now, um, once I got over like the the ridiculousness of that, I actually started to like it. I mean, it's a really well done creature. Uh, it is a cool design, even though it looks like a chimpanzee. Um, I love the filth. Um, it's, I love the look of this workshop. And dude, the Knights of Ren. Uh, I just love their design. I wish we had more of them. You know, like I'm, I'm there. Uh, it would be really good if we could get uh, get to see those characters in live action again one day. Um, they just look super cool and. Kylo's mask uh, being repaired with this uh, red material. Of course, uh, a lot of people have spoken about um, the fact that it's inspired by the Japanese art of repairing or purposefully breaking ceramics and then um, using gold to uh, put them back together, thereby making them even more beautiful than they were in the first place. Um, I think this is fantastic. Um, some people say like, oh, it's, you know, this is evidence of the directors not really being on the same page, that um, that Johnson destroyed the helmet because he wanted Kylo Ren's face out there for the rest of the film and uh, JJ wanted it back on. So he just found, you know, a way to bring it back. Yeah, but... Um, if you put aside your cynicism and just get into your Star Wars enthusiasm, um, you actually, like, I think it, it works story-wise. Um, I think in The Last Jedi, you see those two characters, they, they feel this connection with each other. Uh, they both feel an urge to reach out to, to the other. They both attempt to bring the other to their side, and they both fail. And um, I think... Once Kylo Ren fails, you know, in, in, we see him on this journey from being um, from the dark side to being Ben Solo again, and um, it's not a direct line. So I think this—it's uh, kind of cool to see him. Like, I'm going to put my helmet back together. I'm putting the helmet back on because it—it it it doesn't need to be as simple as like you know, like a step by step. Uh, journey from what from A to B. I think this is cool to see him kind of slipping back in a way, and just aesthetically, it works for me massively. And you get this super cool shot of uh, Kylo Ren's Tie Fighter, and the Knights of Ren's ship. A lot of people have pointed out there seems to be uh, exhaust coming from the ship. Now we uh, we haven't seen that in Star Wars before. Doesn't. Does it make sense or I don't care. It looks really cool. These guys are pretty filthy and we're going to get into that more in a, in a second. And the fact that their ship leaves a trail of crud in deep space. I am a fan of that one. This is something about this film that I love. I just think the, the color choices, the color palette of it are, are is just bang on. This um, bluish hue, 
Um, uh, blue for you, this bluish hue that we get in this corridor scene with the lighting and everything. The way that the red in Carlos' mask leaps out of that that uh, that kind of color palette is awesome. They, the way they're walking is great. It, <laughs> this is another thing that I would say logic-wise doesn't quite make sense. As Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren stomp their way down this hallway to this, uh, this First Order meeting room, you see that um, this perfectly shiny hallway floor is uh, getting extremely muddied up by their filth filthy footprints. Now, the amount of mud <laughs> they are tracking in uh, strikes me as being really illogical, but do I care? I do not. It's, um, it's awesome. It just looks cool. I like that. I love... I mean, we've been seeing perfectly buffed Imperial hallways since 1977, and... Um, I think it's super fun to have. It's not. They're not even like enemies of the first order. They're working with the first order, and yet they are. They are being a pain in the ass. And I just like I've got the, I've got the I've got it paused here, and you just see the weathering on the on the hems of their cloaks. It's just mm. costume design, ten out of ten. Okay, this um, <laughs> this was a bizarre internet conversation that happened after the release of the film. They walk past two for, for first order troopers. One trooper turns the other to the other, and to me, very clearly, says the word ghouls. Because you know these troopers, like they're part of a very like highly regimented military, and they don't, they don't really like seeing these like filthy weirdos stomping around the corridors of their uh, Star Destroyer. Uh, they're freaky. Yeah, they're creepy-looking dudes, so they call them ghouls. So <laughs> I saw internet conversations where people were like, Oh my God, I can't believe those stormtroopers said, that they looked at the Nazarene and said, Ghouls. Oh, that's such a bad, like, such a bad, like, 2019 joke. That's going to age so badly. I'm like, as if J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio wrote that... These troopers turn to each other and say goals when they're looking at the Knights of Ren. That would be ridiculous. Other people have said like that. Oh, he turns to the other one and says cool. That's less ridiculous than goals, but it's still... Yeah. I don't know how people misheard that so badly. To me, it's very clearly enunciated. Ghouls. It's a cool line. I'm into it. Oh, poor Bulio. Kylo Ren drops the severed head. Of this uh, of this resistance spy, right on the conference table. Whew. Sucks to be Bulio. Um, I like the green blood splat. That's just nice. It looks extra slimy. This scene is really good. Again, I I think it's like. Really, like, it's quite a brave choice to put, to mar to marry these kind of, like, quite, you know, this is a serious moment in very many ways. But they keep just 
injecting it with with uh, with humor. And the longer I'm into Star Wars, the more I'm realizing that that combination of things is uh, a real like a secret to the the success of the films. This <laughs> this thing where like Kylo Ren's like. I sense unease about my appearance, General Hux. And Hux is like, but the mask? No, no sir. Well done. <laughs> this other officer's like, I like it. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> oh, I just think it's great. How can you not like this? And then there's, ah, oh, there's this other, uh, Imperial guy. He's not super into this Palpatine stuff. Get to see Richard E. Grant laying down the acting law. I mean, he's been a joy to have in the Star Wars family. He's only been here for a year or something. Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, A, he's fantastic. We feel like we're lucky to have him. But B, his enthusiasm and like... If you're uh, following Star Wars media, you will remember that uh, following a um, a previous screening for uh, for the crew and the cast of the film, um, he jumped on Twitter or Instagram or something, filmed his uh, immediate reaction after the film, and he was blown away to say the least. Tears in his eyes. He was. And it's, it's funny, like, when I watched that, I thought, holy shit, we are in for a movie. Because I was such a big fan of The Force Awakens, and I thought, JJ's done it. Now, turns out, things were a little more complicated than that. However, I can absolutely say that every time I came out of the, like, so I, I think on first watch, I mean, it's a torrent of, of impressions and thoughts when you come out of a new Star Wars movie. And I would say that the end section of the film was where I thought it was kind of weakest. So I didn't come out like pumped on that first watch, although I really, really, really liked it. I wasn't like, just like pump, like punch in the air exactly. Um, but especially after like second, third viewing when I was like, okay, well this, you know, this is, I'm starting to get it like into the rhythm of that ending now, and I, I, I'm 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 on board. I actually like on my you know third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh viewing. I came out kind of like him every time. Like I just I felt like full of adrenaline in a way, and very emotional each time. So um, yeah, I just want to say I'm very happy to have Richard E. Grant in the Star Wars family. What a great performer and a great guy. Oh, Kylo Ren losing, losing his patience with this guy and using the force to just slam him against the ceiling. We've seen... We've seen uh, Kylo Ren... Or, we've sorry, we've seen, like, uh, dark side people get cranky at their underlings in the past. This is nothing new but just uh, whamming him up against the ceiling. I love it. I just love, yeah, I, I think that's a super great scene. I love uh, Ren's voice in that mask, actually. I think they nailed it. It's um, it's very constrained. Um, 
the kind of inhumanity that is uh, that the mask lends to his voice is really effective and um, mm, it's good that was a fun scene all right we will be getting back to that on our next episode thanks for listening everybody thanks to Teresa for being on the show that was really fun. Sorry that uh, my microphone is sounding a little uh, tinny and crappy compared to usual. Um, I guess I'm going to have to uh, throw down some cash on a bit of equipment to get that fixed. But thanks for Teresa to make for making uh, her interview sound really nice. All right. So uh, we will see you next time on uh, Star Wars Fun for Everyone. Especially me.